Hello, and welcome to the Journey Church podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. All right. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Joanna, thank you all for uh, the band for that. Thank you as well, uh, Rob. Well, good morning, uh, Journey Church again. Um, what a cool day. What a cool Sunday that we get to have uh, celebrating uh, our fathers, our families that are being dedicated to the Lord, um, as well as continuing in our series in the book of Acts. It's just a fun Sunday. What uh, again, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers here joining us in the theater as well of, uh, as those joining us uh, online uh, as well. Uh, I want to wish a happy Father's Day to my dad, who I believe is also watching. Uh, I don't know if he can see us, but I have a picture of me and my dad. Uh, you can see that uh, we, we match in the hair area or the lack thereof. Uh, but my dad and I, uh, my dad is, uh, was born and raised in the South Bronx. He was raised right here in New York City. Uh, New York City construction worker, uh, started from the bottom and, and raised an incredible family and uh, gave us all an amazing life. So I'm very grateful uh, to my dad as well this morning. So dad, happy Father's Day. Um, but today is also, as some of you may be aware, uh, our newest national holiday since 1984 when Martin Luther King became, or Martin Luther King Day became a national holiday, uh, and today is Juneteenth Day, so happy Juneteenth Day as well. Uh, and for those of you who aren't aware uh, what Juneteenth Day is, uh, it is a day uh, that is sometimes referred to as uh, America's Second Independence Day. It's a day where uh, the abolishment of slavery is celebrated. Uh, and, and what's very interesting about that is in uh, 1863, I'll give you a little history lesson here, uh, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, ending slavery in states that were not under Union control. But the, the hard part about this is that uh, those who were in slavery at the time weren't just released right away. There were a lot of owners, especially in the South, that uh, didn't proclaim this to them. And so uh, the Juneteenth Day celebrates this group of individuals in, in Texas in 19, or 1865 that for two and a half years after receiving their slavery uh, were, were unaware of their freedom, uh, or after receiving their freedom were unaware of it for two and a half years until a group of Union soldiers marched into Galveston, Texas and announced their freedom. Uh, and so that was on June 19th of 1865. And so today uh, we celebrate Juneteenth Day uh, as our newest national uh, holiday, federal holiday as well. But the harrowing fact of this, this holiday that we celebrate is that for two and a half years, there were individuals who had received their freedom but weren't aware of it. That there, were, there was a quarter of a million slaves in Texas that continued their life of slavery for two and a half years without knowing that they had become freed people. See, there were men acting for evil who kept those in bondage from knowing about their freedom. And spiritually, we have a spiritual enemy that does the same thing. You see, Jesus came and proclaimed freedom over, over sin and over our sinful nature. 
But the enemy that we have, spiritual enemy, desires to keep us in the dark about that. And although we may know about our freedom, sometimes we're preaching that freedom from a prison cell of our own, trapped in sin, trapped in, in a, a way that is completely entrapping to us. See, Jesus, when he was baptized and tempted in the desert, uh, he came into the synagogue shortly after that and was handed a scroll, and he began to read from the book of Isaiah. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord, speaking about himself, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them, saying, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. You see, Jesus came to proclaim freedom to humanity, freedom from sin, freedom from spiritual bondage, freedom from the oppression and the darkness of the enemy. But we have a spiritual enemy that wants us to not look at that fact, that wants to keep us hidden from the fact that we have received our freedom. See, there are many of us today that may practice this in our theology. We may know that we've been set free, but when it comes down to the practical of how to actually be set free, we're unsure of what that looks like. And so what do we do when we find ourselves feeling stuck or trapped in our own prison cells and in these moments where we feel shackled and bound from anything as serious as an addiction to drugs or alcohol to maybe something less threatening like worrying about your job every single day. You know, these, these loops that we find ourselves in where you just somehow think, I am, I'm just stuck and I don't know how to get out. See, Paul, as we jump back into this series, The Beginning, we're taking a look at Paul, one of the greatest evangelisms, uh, evangelists of all time. Uh, and, and he actually encountered this with his, uh, his, his co-worker at the time, Silas, where they found themselves in a prison, completely trapped the first time that Paul had ever been arrested for his faith. And, and as a short recap, uh, Paul was once Saul. So you may remember as a, earlier in the book of Acts, when the early church was coming around, Saul was one of those persecuting the church. And, and for context, he wasn't just going into the synagogues and those who were evangelizing publicly, throwing him in prison. He was hunting Christians down. He was going into their homes and pursuing them in other towns to bring them and arrest them and condemn them to death. And so on the road to this town called Damascus, as he was going to persecute a bunch of other Christians, he was surrounded by a, a, a bright light and he heard a voice, essentially the voice of Jesus, asking him why Saul was persecuting him. And in this moment, Saul understood that his zealousness and his passion for the Lord, although strong, was misplaced, and that Jesus was the true living God. Uh, and, and his salvation came about, and he ended up becoming uh, the greatest uh, pioneer evangelist of all time. And so in Acts chapter 16, 
Paul and Silas are on one of their missionary journeys, uh, and they are in a town called, uh, I'm sorry, Philippi uh, is where they are at this time. It's a northern town in what is today modern Greece. And they're evangelizing there as a, uh, you know, response to a vision that he's seen. Paul decides to go to Philippi to preach to the Gentiles, to those who don't know Jesus. And there's a girl there, uh, a a slave girl, who has a spirit, the Bible says, a a demonic spirit uh, of of, uh, fortune telling uh, is how it describes it. And so essentially, she began following Paul and Silas proclaiming these men are servants of God, these men are servants of God, and this worried Paul because recognizing that this was a spirit not from God, not unsure what this spirit could continue to say when they weren't there, and really confusing some people about what the gospel might be, Paul turned around and and commanded the spirit to leave her. And you see, at this time, that girl was actually owned by, by two people who were using her as prophet. So they would use her, this spirit, this fortune-telling ability to make money for themselves. And so when Paul cast this spirit out, this girl was no longer able to bring them their income. And so they were furious. They called Paul and Silas to the center court, and they had them arrested and beaten. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 16, verse 23. It says, they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. In verse 27, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. Now, I want to pause here. Sleeping on the job as a Roman soldier, as a prison guard, was sure execution. If these prisoners had escaped, this, this jailer would undoubtedly have lost his life. And so it continues in verse 27. It says, he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted out to him, stop don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, and he ran to the dungeon, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. Verse 32, and they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, and he set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced rejoiced because they all came to believe in God. And then we see at the end of this chapter, the next morning, without any legal reason to bind them, Paul and Silas are released from prison. So we have this incredible story of Paul and Silas obeying the word of the Lord, going to Philippi to begin preaching Jesus to this group of people who has never heard about him. And in this process, they come across some trouble and are thrown in jail. 
And we see this incredible story just take a turn in a way that almost nobody could have predicted that ends in this jailer, this man who may have even had a hand in initially beating Paul and Silas, ends up washing their wounds, risking his life again to take them out of jail, bring them into his home to feed them, to preach to his family, wash his wounds, and take care of them. And so there are so many things that I feel like we could get from this story. And so I want to take a look. I have five lessons that I want to share with you that we can find from this story. Five lessons from the prison cell that can, I believe, help us in the time that we feel stuck, in the time that we feel that we don't have a way out ourselves. The first is although Paul couldn't remove his chains, God could and did. Although Paul did not know how to get himself out of this situation he was in, he did not know the way to freedom, he did not know the way out of the chains that he had shackled around his feet, he knew that there was a way, and he knew that God did know that way. See, Paul and Silas, although I'm sure in pain, and although I'm sure there was some worry and some concern and some fear with where they were at, they never lost hope of the fact that they didn't need to know the way out in order for there to be a way out. They didn't need to have the entire game plan in order for them to believe and trust that there was a God working for their good to get them out of the situation they were in. And I believe that's the same for us. You see, there's times where we feel stuck where we feel completely hopeless, where we're in a situation, maybe it's been years for you, and you look at that part of your life or that situation and you say, you know what, that, that loop, I see it too much. There's no way it can change. I've been around it a thousand times. I've searched every nook and cranny and looked for every possible way out of that prison cell. There is none. But I can promise you there is. And that is because we have a God who promises us that there is. And you see, our, our path to that isn't necessarily a path of our own strength and our own doing and our own mind and knowledge and trying to figure the way out. The path is really relying on God when we can't see. And you see, faith is this belief in the eternal beyond what we can see with our senses. And so the reason that's so powerful in a time where we feel like we're in a prison cell is because in the times where we cannot see a way out, but we can believe and trust that God has one, the glory continues to grow for him. I think of Abraham. We talked about him a few weeks ago. The father of the nation of Israel promised a son from years and years and years, decades before he actually got one, but he held true to the promise of God. And at a hundred years old, with his wife at 90, they had their first son. Their, their waiting, their faith continued to grow in this situation that they could not find a solution for. And I think when we find ourselves in that type of situation where we just feel stuck, the main thing that we know how to do and that we can do is to pray. Our main role is to pray, and that actually leads me into my second point, is that when we don't know what else to do but pray, usually God doesn't want us doing anything else. 
See, sometimes, church, God will slow us down, and as much as we don't like to hear it, God will bring us these points of exhaustion and feeling stuck because it's at that point that we release control and we give God the opportunity to do what he's going to do. And you see, in those moments, we may feel like there's absolutely nothing I can do here but pray. And I just wish there was so much more. Maybe it's even a situation for somebody you know. And you're like, I just wish I could help that person so much more, but I don't know what to do. And often, that's where God is calling us to rely on prayer and to rely on him. To be the strength in our weakness that when we don't know what else to do, we can trust that God does. You see, our dependence on God isn't a weakness, but a strength. Scripture tells us that in our weakness, God's power is made perfect. He doesn't say strong. He doesn't say pretty good. Paul, in that passage, uses the word perfect. That in our weakness, when we are vulnerable enough to open ourselves up to the God of the universe and say, God, I can't do this. This is where I fail. This is where I'm done. This is where I'm stuck. That we begin to see the power of God made perfect in our lives. And church, how often you pray matters. See, if you pray for your freedom from that prison cell once a day, it matters than not praying at all. If you set a reminder on your phone and you pray one hour a day for every hour of the day, that's going to matter more than praying just once. And it's not a ritual thing. It's a heart thing. You see, our prayer moves the heart of God, the power of God. And so as his children are bringing to him this, this problem in their hearts, this sadness, this sorrow, this fear, this struggle, it moves the heart of God when we pray. And in those times where we feel like we can't do anything else but pray, we can rely on, in, in our faith and in the strength of the Lord knowing that he can come through and that his word promises that he will. There's a pastor and a good friend of mine out at a church in Burbank, California, and he, he taught me some truth on this this week. He said, dependence is where exhaustion and struggle meet, patience and truth. Many of us choose a life full of exhaustion and struggle when we don't really have to because we have a perfect father who already knows exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. All it takes from us is patience and trust. There's a psalm where David is crying out to the Lord, and, and as he's reciting, he says, be still. And he, he says that he is completely exhausted. Often, actually, you see in the psalms, David is completely exhausted and overwhelmed to the point of completely giving up. And he's, time and time again, you'll see in those Psalms that as he reaches that point, he's met on the back end with this strength from the Lord that helps him endure, that helps him get over that challenge that he's facing, maybe not even in the specific, but in his heart, the fear, the sorrow that he feels. Because dependence is where our exhaustion and our struggle Meet patience and trust. The moment where we cannot do anything else but pray, let's pray. And let's have that patience and that trust. Third, 
Worship in prison because you ha- not because you have freedom, but because you know it's coming. We can worship in prison not because you have freedom, but because we know that it's coming. See, the, the truth of it, church, is that you are, if you feel like you're in that moment of prison, if you feel like you're, you're completely chained in whatever situation you find yourself in, hoping for freedom is different than having it. And we know that. And I don't want to make light of the struggle, sometimes just because we know Jesus has come to free us and has set us free. It's also important to recognize that there's still struggle in that. That in times we are still completely bound by this, these chains that we find ourselves in. But the truth is that God being outside of time and space can see the moment where we break through where we have that moment where the sun shines and we come over the horizon of that struggle. He can see that before we can. And so that can give us the faith that we can then worship and praise God in the time where we don't see that victory yet because we do believe it's coming. We see in that passage, Paul and Silas, it says that they were praying and singing hymns to God. They were worshiping God in that space of pain after having been beaten and shackled by their feet and thrown in the inner cell of a prison. And prisons back then were not prisons today. They were not comfortable. They didn't have beds. And and they took all of the pain that they felt. And what they turned it into was prayer and worship, this moment that most of us would look at and be like, I what are you doing? (laughs) I'm crying. I'm screaming. I'm freaking out. I've just been thrown in prison. That's what I'm doing. But Paul and Silas, in their faith, were able to recognize and believe that God was working for them, that God had control of the things that they didn't, had control of the things of their lives that they didn't, and they believed in him for them. And it gave them the encouragement and the belief to break into song and to worship at midnight, nonetheless. Charles Spurgeon, he's a 19th century preacher in in England, had a quote. It says, It is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight, but the skillful stager is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. See, I believe that worship is just fixing your attention on something. See, when we sometimes you'll notice in a relationship, maybe if you're married, in the early days of your relationship, the beginning of dating, there's this feeling of of infatuation with the other person. They're all you see. They're the center of your focus and your attention. There's this almost worshipful type attention focused on them. And I think that that worship can be applied to God in the same way. That should we just take our attention and and focus that is so focused on this issue, this problem, this struggle, these chains. And if we can just lift our eyes and turn to the God who brings us hope. It sounds crazy as you're saying it. I don't know a way out, but I believe there's one. Sure, let's go. But as your faith begins to grow you notice that song becomes clearer. No, my God can get me through this. No, no, I know I don't know a way out, but I believe it. I've seen God work, 
And I know God loves me. No, no, no. I don't know the way out, but I do know there is a way. That song of worship begins to bubble forth, and it begins to create in you a joy that, that goes beyond understanding is what Paul says in, in another one of his letters, that that peace and that joy will go beyond our understanding and carry us through the darkest of nights. Our last point before I wrap up here is that faith in our trials often leads others to find freedom in theirs. See, I think the most powerful point about this passage of Paul and Silas is that verse 25 where it says, Paul and Silas about midnight were praying and singing hymns to God and other prisoners were listening to them. They were in this jail cell. The other prisoners probably aware that there really wasn't a charge against them at this time. See Paul and Silas being brought in, beaten, bleeding, and hurt, chained in the inner cell, and then watch them praise God? Do you know what power that must have created? We see it a couple verses later. Because as the earthquake comes and the doors fly open, nobody leaves. Not Paul and Silas, but not these other prisoners as well. Probably knowing what would happen to the jailer, knowing that it would mean his death if they left, they all stayed. And Scripture doesn't give us a description on why, but I kind of feel like it was because that place had been filled with worship prior. That they were in the midst of the power of God. That their spirits themselves, maybe not even being believers, were lifted by the faith and the trust that they saw in Paul and Silas. The encouragement that they might have felt. You see, it led them to a place that they wouldn't have been should Paul and Silas not have been there. The jailer at that time ended up having him and his entire household coming to know the Lord and finding salvation and finding hope because Paul and Silas took a beating and because they ended up in prison. And you see, as Paul being a prisoner in that cell, I think he recognized he was free. I think he recognized that although physically he had these chains around his ankles, he was free in every other regard. And he looked around at the other prisoners and at the jailer who had brought him in, and he saw prisoners. I think he saw people without hope. I think he saw people who needed the saving of the Lord in their lives. And it was his faith and his praising and his worship that created the opportunity for them to find hope as well. You see, we started out this series on the beginning, the, the story of the book of Acts, talking about how our main objective, if you will, that when Jesus left, he commissioned us to be witnesses of the gospel, to be witnesses of what he's done, but that in order to be a witness, you had to have a personal account to something. And so us today, never having walked with Jesus, what are we witnessing to but the work that he's done in our lives? And you see, church, as you walk through and navigate these hard times in your life, and as you begin to press into the Lord in faith and in trust and in believing beyond understanding that he can provide and that he will find a way out, even if you don't know the way, your witness begins to grow. 
Your coworkers begin to look at you, knowing what you're going through and saying, how are you still so happy? You begin to see family members that maybe don't understand, and they're like, what is, what is this going on with you right now? Something's just, why are you joyous? Why are you encouraged? What, there's no hope to be found in this. You don't know a way out. No, but God does, and I believe that, and I'm going to rest in that because I trust in the love of God even if I can't see the hand of God right now. And that power, that worship becomes your witness, and then... On the other side, when God brings about that freedom for that part of your life that you feel like you've struggled with, then you can point back and say, there is nothing I will doubt in my God. Because I watched him bring me through that. I watched him carry me through that. I watched in the moments where I had no hope, no idea how to be saved from the situation I was in. And I watched the power of God come forth and do that for me. Your witness begins to grow. And I dare anybody here to tell somebody a story like that and hear them say they don't believe it. Because when it comes from you and it's personal and it's from the heart, Scripture says that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That testimony, that witness, creates waves far into eternity, far past what we can see. So church, without even knowing where you are, without even knowing the struggle that you feel like you may be in, maybe it's a lifelong challenge, something that you've dealt with your whole life, and you're just needing a new mindset about it. Whatever it may be, I believe that there is a solution, there is a way, and there is hope. And I believe it's found in Jesus. And I believe that when we turn our attention away from that thing to the everlasting God, we begin to find our hope and our peace. If you would, if you don't mind, uh, when you walked in, you were handed a connection card. Uh, if you have that connection card, you don't have to pull it out right now. But what I want to encourage you to do is if you were here today and you would say, I am in a personal prison a circumstance in your life, something internally, whatever it may be, if you would relate to that statement of saying, I, I feel like I'm in a prison cell and I need a breakthrough, on your prayer request line, I just want you to write prison. And then what I want to do this week is everybody who writes that, I want to be praying over you specifically by name this week because I want to join you in your encouragement. I want to join you. I know what it is to be locked in a prison cell, to be uh, completely hopeless and in a moment of not knowing where to go. But I've also seen God work on the other end. I've seen that freedom come. I've seen the moment where you're on the other side looking back saying, how did that happen? It's only God. And I want to join you in praying for that. So again, on the back of your connection card, just under that prayer request line, you can write the prayer itself. I would love to be praying specifically, or you could just write the word prison, and I would love to be praying over you for that. But I'd like to wrap up today um, by praying collectively. Uh, so if you would, bow your heads, and uh, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we bring before you this day. Father, we bring before you this word from your scriptures, this encouragement that we can have hope and find a way to worship even in a cell where we have no way out. 
God, we know that you can provide that earthquake in our lives that breaks the chains from our feet and our hands, that releases us from prison. We know that power rests in you. And so we come before you today, each individually lifting up to you our hearts and our struggle. Father, would you see it? Would you be with us? Would you remind us that you walk with us, that you love us, that as our heavenly Father, should we put our trust in you, you will not disappoint that, Father, you can provide the salvation that we need in this situation. And so we lift that up to you, and I pray you would remind us of your truth as we walk this week. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.